Okay, so welcome to our uh, Salt Sock podcast um, episode, uh, all about uh, people who've qualified within the last year or so and what they are doing now. Um, and so today we've got the lovely Darcy with us, who was my placement educator on my most recent placement. Um, and listening to her story about how she came to speech and language therapy, what she was doing before and what she's done since qualifying. I found it really interesting and hope all of you listening will too. Um, so Darcy, can you tell us a little bit about your journey, kind of what brought you to SLT uh, and what your university experience was like? Yes, so I've got a very long journey to being a speech therapist. I was interested at A-level when I did English language in how children learn language. Um, but I didn't want to commit to being a speech therapist and not enjoying it. So I did quite a generic linguistics degree, um, but I did it at Sheffield. So I was able to kind of do a few speech therapy modules because you were allowed to kind of mix and match across disciplines. Um, a lot of people went and did like drama modules or English lit modules, but I went into human communication department, um, absolutely fell in love with it and decided that's what I wanted to do as my master's. So whilst at university doing my undergraduate, I Googled speech therapy volunteering, which is impossible to come to come across. It's, it's <laughs> so hard to get direct experience with speech therapists. It's mm. it's like my life goal to try and get as many doors open to people interested in it because I found it incredibly difficult. Um, and I ended up having to do weird volunteering things and then trying to link it with speech therapy. So I volunteered initially for the British Red Cross, helping with their wheelchair services, um, vulnerable people in that kind of aspect, which then opened doors up to volunteer for the NHS. Um, and I eventually managed to get a voluntary experience being a conversation partner in Sheffield for people that had, had a stroke. Um, where the local stroke team used volunteers like me to go in and kind of do the therapy, I guess, and like the actions and conversation partner strategies, which really opened up a lot of doors. Um, I did apply for the master's in Sheffield to go straight in after my undergraduate, didn't get on, absolutely devastated because I did so much work. I thought I'm going to get on this, which just kind of highlighted how competitive it is. Um, so I managed somehow to find the gold dust job of being a speech therapy assistant in adult learning disability in Birmingham. I came home because I'm from Worcestershire, um, worked for 12 months, managed to get in the second time in Sheffield to do my master's in speech therapy, did that for two years, um, had a pandemic, had a few lockdowns in the middle of it. And yeah, now I'm uh, seconded to a band six. Um, so I've got a permanent job as a band five, but I'm currently seconded to a band six speech therapy position with adults with a learning disability in the community. Amazing. Thank you for talking us through that. So following the kind of getting qualified stage, how did you decide what field you wanted to work in? And did you always have that in mind? I know you've mentioned learning disability a few times. Yeah, it's it's quite bizarre, actually, because originally it was always adults with acquired speech language communication needs and it was always stroke because a lot of my family friends had suffered strokes and that's how I got interested in speech therapy I guess I've never been someone that wanted to go in peds I was always 
firmly against it I don't think I could work with children every single day so I always applaud <laughs> teachers and paediatric speech therapists but neonatal care and things like that dysphagia in hospital like neat with paediatrics really interests me but yeah learning disability completely fell into it from my assistant role um and I fell in love with it as an assistant and I did go to university and think oh this is my chance to kind of branch out and find something new and I was really interested to in going into acute adults um but yeah it just kind of I had my final placement in learning disability and I just thought there is such a wide variation in what you can do as a speech therapist mm. I decided to go back down that route um I recently did some interview simulations on learning disability and a lot of the people kind of saying why they were interested in learning disabilities because most people with a learning disability have speech language communication needs and dysphagia and I think that kind of highlighted to me just how needed we are in that population but it's just never talked about it's never I think I had one like lecture on it at university so yeah I kind of want to raise that awareness of how much we're needed and that there are a lot of jobs in learning disability that aren't quite advertised I don't think. Mm. There was such a variety to the role I found on placement as well, which was kind of why I uh, enjoyed the placement quite so much, really. Um, tell us a bit about your kind of job hunting and interview experience. Was it kind of hard finding a job? Did you have to apply for many? Yeah, I think especially being newly qualified, this was a real struggle, especially when you're in a master's scenario because that there's such a wide range of experience and you're you're kind of comparing yourself to somebody that might have been an assistant for years versus somebody that has just fresh out of their undergraduate degree and has had no kind of job experience so to speak and there was a lot of pressure I found in people getting jobs so we didn't qualify until the September but people were getting jobs in the January and I remember thinking oh my gosh we've still got nine months and there was a lot of pressure and I just told myself sign up for alerts and if the perfect job comes up contact them you're not going to lose anything just contact them um so I signed up for job alerts and I had a couple of interviews um adult acute was one and then obviously adult learning disability and it was just kind of weighing up what I would feel more comfortable going into because I wasn't although I come across as quite a confident person doing everything during the pandemic really knocked my confidence and I thought learning disability is something I know I feel comfortable in it I feel like I can go in there and kind of hit the ground running whereas acute I'd be a bit rabbit in headlights still so I kind of went down my comfort route and I'm I'm glad I did because I feel like I can really make a difference from the get-go but yeah applying for jobs was it's a very pressurised situation, I think. And I think that everyone should kind of go at their own pace. And it's, there's no harm looking for jobs. But if you, like I've always said, if you see the perfect job come up, just contact them. Because people are desperate to fill those positions. And if you are the perfect candidate, they will wait for you. Is It's the biggest thing I learned from applying for jobs. It's so interesting because speech and language therapy is such a niche role you know there aren't many of us but also I don't think people understand the variety and where we're needed yeah. so for us to try and find those roles is is a challenge but thank you for explaining how you went about it I think it'd be really helpful for people to hear it was helpful for me to hear you know yeah just sign up for job alerts on the NHS mm. website and that's obviously if you want to go into NHS um a lot of private 
companies don't tend to advertise as much but if you approach them they might have money but like in different pots that they can put together to create a job it's it's surprising how much if you approach them how much how many opportunities could be available it's just having the confidence to approach them unfortunately yeah I think if to hear from you that that's how the process is it gives you that confidence because you know that this is what people are doing and how you go about it so thank you yeah What's your time been like so far as a newly qualified SLT? A bit of a whirlwind, I won't lie. <laughs> it has been a bit of a whirlwind. So we obviously don't qualify with our full dysphagia competencies. And that was my number one goal because I really enjoy dysphagia. And the Manchester course that I think most speech therapists have heard of because it's got such a good reputation and it's so hard to get on. Um, that was one of my main goals that I wanted to get on. But with my trust, you had to have done all your newly qualified competencies. So I kind of hit the ground running and I was like, right, I need to get all of these signed off so I can say, look, I'm competent. Now can I do dysphagia? <laughs> and looking back, I think, wow, I really shouldn't have rushed that. I should have taken my time um, and just kind of enjoyed the process a bit more rather than seeing it as a tick boxing exercise. It was very much like on the CPD diary diary on the RCSLT website I was very much like right make a referral to someone yeah I did that the other day it was very much like trying to find examples of what I was doing rather than just taking my time to absorb it and learn it because I'm still learning so much more now um, but I'm also aware that if I hadn't have kind of just hit the ground running and probably overwhelmed myself I wouldn't be in a position where I am now where I'm seconded to a bit more of a specialist role with a bit more responsibility so swings and roundabouts but yeah it's definitely been a whirlwind it's amazing the amount you've done in the last year you know your, your competencies yeah. so much of your dysphagia stuff as well um and and seconded to a band six it's uh yeah incredible might have been rather hard going on you but it's you've you've achieved so much um thank you yeah, yeah. i think that also kind of demonstrates how much we're needed in LD in learning disability because there are so many roles to fill and you do kind of just specialise really quickly and you really fall into that role because we're needed so much you develop quite quickly so I think that kind of climbing the bands which a lot of people aim to do in the NHS happens quite naturally within LD because we are needed and there are so many vacancies you find yourself kind of doing like taking on more responsibility um, especially students and things like most people wouldn't be expected to take on students but because we want students to come in and, and mm. see learning disability and advertise it that way we're like right you start taking on all these roles and responsibilities and before you know it you realize you're doing a band six job um so yeah that that's quite a good advertisement I think for learning disabilities you do <laughs> get so much more responsibility if you want it if you don't want it they're very happy to say that's absolutely fine but if you want that responsibility the opportunities are just always there it's great Fab. So what tips would you give to somebody who has just started a new job or who is starting a new job shortly for the first sort of three to six months? <laughs> take your time. That would be my biggest thing. Just take your time and remind yourself how far you've come. I think especially 
in this day and age where we have had to adapt our learning so much and our practice as well as our learning just take your time and it's okay to ask for help i've been saying to a lot of newly qualified people joining with us it is absolutely fine to ask for help which is easier said than done when we're still living in virtual times and people aren't always in the office but if you have a silly question find someone within your team or even a peer that you know that is just qualified too that you feel comfortable in ringing and just ask those questions because you really do take it for granted um so yeah take your time and just remind yourself how far you've come and in the present times how far you've come um and in masters in particular you've done so much more leading up to be a speech therapist please just kind of give yourself a break that you in even do like finishing the course and get into the course that's so competitive like you are supposed to be there like you're there for a reason and don't question your abilities amazing yeah some lovely advice there brilliant thank you Darcy that's been fab um and thank you for taking the time to talk to us this afternoon thank you so this is part two of our NQP special and today we've got the lovely Kira with us. Um, so Kira, can you tell us a little bit about your journey up to this point? Uh, what brought you to speech and language therapy and what were you doing prior to your uh, university? So I did my undergraduate in New Zealand um, and I studied um, health sciences, which is just a general um, science degree. Um, and I then had um, a personal um, experience um, in rehab um, and that's when I first learned about speech and language therapy um, and then sort of over the next five years from there I um, sort of had um, a recovery journey and um, I was just sort of um, getting physically um, and mentally well um, and during that time I looked after some children with um, additional needs and um, some with speech language communication needs um, and I had lots of different experiences with um, speech language therapy sort of on the ground um, and then I decided that I wanted to apply for some master's courses um, to study speech and language therapy. So I applied in Birmingham and London um, and I got accepted at both and yeah I chose BCU and so I studied at um, the MSC at BCU. Amazing so how from that point did you decide what field you'd be interested in working in and have you always had that field in mind? So I I, d I didn't even know that speech and language therapy existed um, pre going into rehab. Um, so I was in a spinal unit. I say rehab and it sounds like I um, am a drug addict. Um, I'm not. I was in a spinal unit um, for a, a long time. Um, and so as part of um, my recovery there, I had physiotherapy and occupational therapy and speech and language therapy um, because my swallow was affected. Um, as part of my spinal injury um, and that was sort of my first introduction to speech and language therapy um, and then when I um, was out of rehab and I was working with um, children with additional needs I was I also learned about speech and language therapy from a different side of it from the language side um, I was working with children with um, a range of needs so they had um, autism spectrum disorder and fetal alcohol spectrum disorder um so I yeah I sort of like 
had my whole eyes open to this amazing world of speech language therapy and all the different things that you could do um, with it. Um, and I decided, hey, that's something that I would love to do. And that's why I decided that that would be um, the course that I wanted to apply for. So I always knew that I wanted to work um, in sort of like a medical setting. So actually, when I first went to university, um, my first year, I was um, I actually went to medical school. Um, but I that I got um, really unwell in that first year, so I had to um, come out of medical school um, because I had to have um, open heart surgery, so I wasn't allowed to continue at medical school. So I always knew that I wanted to work in sort of the medical field, um, but I wasn't sure sort of after I got unwell, I wasn't sure sort of what avenue. So yeah, I sort of learned by experience that speech language therapy was where I wanted to work. So tell us about, you're now doing a PhD. Tell us about the process of kind of doing that PhD, choosing the area, or the area almost choosing you that you were going to do the PhD. Tell us about like how, how that process happened. So when I did my undergraduate, I um, did some research and I looked at um, best practice standards um, and and they got published and so I was in the New Zealand Medical Journal and um, I looked at best practice standards of child car seats and um, don't ask we didn't get to choose our topics back then um, but I loved research so I always knew that I loved research and um, fast forward to the masters and we do a, a, a course called EBPP which is research based and um, I did not love the research element of um, the master's course <laughs> and I did not think that I would be doing a PhD. Um, however, when I was on placement um, as part of the MSc, I um, had two placements in forensic CAMS and one placement in um, the West Midlands Violence Reduction Unit and it was there that I had um, a passion born, I suppose, um, for youth offending. And I suddenly decided that um, I was going to work with youth offenders. Um, Pre-coming into the course, I had decided that I wanted to work with children. So I knew that I wanted to work with children and I wanted to work with language. Um, if you'd asked me pre-coming onto the course, I would have told you that I definitely didn't want to work in dysphagia and swallowing. Um, but I actually really enjoyed the dysphagia and swallowing modules. So um, hey, things can take you by surprise. Um, but much to my surprise, um, I loved youth offending um, so much um, and that's where I am now. Um, but in youth offending, um, it's a new area, speech language therapy, and there is a very limited um, evidence base. Um, and there is a lot of uh, research that needs to be done um, and is being done um, currently. Um, but it is a very, very new area of speech and language therapy. Um, and so when I was on my final placement of the MSc and doing the final assignments and also writing my dissertation. So it was a very stressful time. Um, one of our lecturers uh, sent out an email to our class to say that, hey, this fully funded um, PhD opportunity had come out with um, the title that I'd actually asked to do for my MSc. And so it was like my perfect 
title. It's what I wanted to study. Um, it was almost like too good to be true. Um, and yeah, I think I had like 10 different people from my class. Mind, there was only 17 of us on the course and um, but I had like 10 different people text me being like oh my goodness it's your topic like you need to apply and um yeah I was like there's no way I'm going to apply it's the most stressful time ever um but I spoke to a couple of the different um lecturers and they were like no you should give it a go um and so yeah I applied and that's how I've ended up doing a PhD straight after the MSc. <laughs> that's amazing it's so interesting to hear um youth offending is an area i'm so interested in so it's great to hear about your journey so thank you for sharing that we just wanted to ask a little bit more about what your time has been like since um completing your msc so maybe a bit more about the phd would be great so i am obviously so i'm an nqp and um, slt so i am registered and um, with the hcpc um, so, and I'm doing my NQP competencies, but I am doing them obviously very differently to somebody who's got a band five job and is working a normal, um, or, or, or a normal is probably not the right word, but a, a typical job. Um, I've got a very atypical route, obviously, because I'm, I'm coming from a research point of view. Um, but I am working with um, speech and language therapists. So I'm working within a team, within a youth offending team um, out in the community. And um, I am in the stage of uh, preparing for um, my ethics to go through, and then I will be running um, a language intervention and looking at the effectiveness of the language intervention. So because um, I am a um, qualified speech language therapist now, um, I will get to run that language intervention, which is quite cool. So it means that I'll get to use the knowledge that I've gained from the course sort of use the expertise and um, that we gain from from qualifying um, and the passion obviously at the same time um, and incorporate that into the research as well so it's sort of like doing it working and researching at the same time which is um, really really cool um, so when I first started the PhD you do a taught module um, it's the only taught module that you do of the PhD called a PG cert um, where you have a 6,000 word proposal that you need to write um, within three months. So that was um, uh, baptism of the fire. That was a lot to do um, very quickly um, and there were a lot of words I needed to learn very quickly. Um, so I remember going to my first PG cert class and they were talking about your ontological and your epistemological standpoints and I was like oh my goodness I am not smart enough to be doing a PhD um, but I quickly learnt what those words meant um, and um, got my proposal done and passed so that's um, really exciting so my proposal is in and passed and I am now working on the ironing out everything ready for ethics to go through. Ah, very exciting. Um, so just to kind of finish, what tips would you give to somebody who is considering going into research? I think my main tip is not to doubt yourself. So I think for me, I was a bit like, I can't go straight into research because I've got no clinical expertise. 
And I think that almost held me back. So I almost didn't apply for the PhD because I was like, how can I do this PhD when I've got no clinical expertise? And I had numerous conversations um, with some of our lecturers who said, hey, Kira, like you'll you'll gain your clinical expertise as you go. You'll be fine. Um, and already, you know, I've only been um, we graduated in January, so we're eight months on and already I've learned so much just from doing it and researching at the same time and so yeah that's really my main tip is don't don't underestimate what you learn you sort of learn everything about the theory that you learn from the course you learn it all in practice it's sort of like your placements you'll already know you learn so much on your placements as you go but when you're out in the real world you just learn so much so quickly um and there's so much support around you just don't need to be scared to ask questions because there's always people there ready to help you and ready to answer questions and things so you just you need to just keep asking really and yeah so not to be scared and not to underestimate yourself brilliant thank you so much thank you Kira for sharing your journey with us because it's quite yeah different and unique and it's just really interesting to hear of somebody who's done something a little bit different after their <laughs> SLT degree so yeah thank you so much thank you no worries. okay so this is another um section of our uh, podcast talking to NQPs and today we've got Michael uh, with us. Um, so Michael can you tell us a little bit about your journey up till now and what brought you into SLT and what your university experience was like? Yeah no problem um, so it's a bit long-winded but I'm going to try and keep it as brief as I possibly can. Um, so straight out of college I went and studied a degree in English literature and English language and I graduated that in 2012 and for a long long time my my kind of goal in life was I'm going to be a teacher that is what I'm going to do with my life because I loved English I enjoyed just being at school generally and I thought what you know I'm everyone's had it if everyone's had a good experience of school then I think people generally can gravitate towards you know going back and teaching um so the following year I then started a PGCE and it was a very intense PGCE and I started that in September and by the December I was like actually teaching isn't for me <laughs> which kind of burst my bubble a little bit because that was kind of what I'd had in my head for a long long time and then it was like oh okay what what do I do now um I think it was a, maybe a combination of the intensity of the course and potentially so I ended up doing a primary PGCE whereas I think maybe had I gone down the secondary school just teaching English point of view, maybe things would have been a bit different. I don't know. But suffice it to say, it was a difficult decision to make at the time, but I haven't looked back since. Um, so after that, it was a bit like, yeah, what do I do now kind of thing. Um, I then did a, a few different jobs, but in and around education. So I got a job as an education welfare officer, which essentially was working with children with kind of poor school attendance for various different reasons. So you'd be working with families to kind of get to the bottom of why that was. For some families, it was their child might have autism. And so they might be quite defiant about going to school. 
for others it was challenging home lives for other reasons and so you know i remember working with quite a, a number of, sort of teenage lads who were just like getting into drugs and alcohol and and kind of those those kind of things um so that was a bit of an eye-opener going into people's houses occasionally meeting with them and that was kind of my first taste of i suppose working with kind of people and clients and families in that respect and trying to kind of help and support people in that way so i did that for a couple of years and whilst i was doing that there was a school that was on my caseload who kind of approached me and said oh we've got a new role coming up in our school and we wondered if you'd be interested in it and essentially what that was was they teamed up with a charity who are a youth work charity and they were looking to basically embed youth workers into the secondary school as part of a pastoral team so the school had like heads of year and heads of houses and that you know they're the kind of people that young people can go to with any kind of challenging per personal circumstances or challenging home lives but they were kind of keen to go one step further and have someone in there that was a bit more impartial so I applied for that and, and got that job and it was really really enjoyable job so I was working with again children is in a secondary school so teenagers but kids that had all sorts of different things going on so it might be again challenging home lives because they were young carers so some of these kids had um, parents that might have been uh, addicted to drugs or alcohol they might have had siblings with autism and so they helped out their parents in that respect for other children it was kind of like mental health problems that they were having and um, they might have been on a really long waiting list for cams so that was that was that job and i really enjoyed that um i left that partly because it got to the point where I was starting to feel a little bit out of my depth in terms of the referrals that I was getting for those young people. Um, I then considered what I was going to do again. So you, you might detect a theme here. There's a lot of like going back to the, the drawing board. I considered going down the psychotherapy and counselling route because just helping people is what I've always been kind of passionate about really in whatever capacity it is. Um, that wasn't really viable just in terms of how much it was going to cost, to be honest with you. You had to pay for your own supervision and your own counselling sessions. And eventually I've kind of come full circle. I was like, what can I use my original degree for in English literature and English language? And then I did a bit of bank work at the NHS and then it hit me. Speech and language therapy. That's what I need to go and do. <laughs> so I did a bit of shadowing. Um, I really enjoyed it. So this was at the QE hospital did a bit of shadowing on the straight wards, was speaking to them, uh, the, the SRTs up there. I had to be sure that oh, this is what I wanted to do because this is like, you know, go number three now at university. So I have to get this right. Um, and I haven't looked back. It was like the best decision I made. So apologies if that's a bit long winded, but I think it's important to like, I've, I don't feel that I've detrimented my career prospect or my life generally by saying do you know what that's not for me I need to move on to the next thing and I just think I know that's it's a bit of a long-winded route to get there but actually I think sometimes you need to try different things in order to get to the place where you feel like you need to be so there we are I think that brings us up to speed <laughs> just about <laughs> kind of what was your university experience like so uh, I can be short and sweet with that amazing Brilliant, loved it. Uh, fantastic personal tutor. Lecturers were brilliant. COVID 
made it a bit difficult, obviously. So that was in our second year, um, which I felt we didn't really get as much kind of hands on experience with some of the assessment tools um, that we might have done because they're kind of in the resource room on campus. We weren't allowed on campus. So it, that had a bit of a detrimental effect. But I mean, the lecturers were amazing, really. They kind of shifted a whole course online overnight. So I don't think they could have done any more to kind of minimise the disruption in that respect, really. But um, the course was great in a nutshell. Yeah, really good. <laughs> so do you work with adults or paediatrics now? So I work with adults now. Um, yeah, adults. Um, so I've just started my band five rotational post. So the way it works in this, this just that I'm working in, you have six months in a given rotation. You do your six months and then you move on. So my first rotation is in community. So I, it's essentially outpatients. So people can sometimes come to clinic if they're able to, or we go to them in their own homes. Um, and I also do one day a week with the care homes team. So that's a lot of work around dysphagia, sometimes, sometimes communication, but it's quite um, dysphagia heavy. And that's one day a week as part of that community rotation. So after the six months, I'd move into stroke or back into acute. Um, and then there'll be voice somewhere along the way as well. Hmm. So when you were studying, did you always think you wanted to go into adults or did you consider paediatrics as well? So you, could, you might be able to gather from like my long lengthy uh, background that because I'd always worked with with kind of children and young people, that's kind of why I picked this as a career. Um, but it was very, very quick, I'd say, into the course that we started learning about stroke, traumatic brain injury. Parkinson's dementia and that I don't I don't know why but that I possibly because it's something that was quite new to me so I'm always kind of I always gravitate I think towards things that I've not come across before and I think that really intrigued me especially stroke and um, traumatic brain injury I think because I think people's lives can literally just be turned upside down overnight that that kind of fascinated me in, in some ways that I mean how, how do you even start to to support people that that's happened to so for literally like i'd say within the first couple of months of starting the course once we kind of scratch the surface of stroke and tbi that's kind of like oh that's really interesting i want to learn more about that so yeah started off from a place of yeah i'll definitely gonna be a speech and language speech and language therapist working in schools or in pediatrics and then we, again we've come full circle <laughs> And and now I work with adults. Um, so yeah, it's kind of surprising, really, not what I expected. But there we go. I think it's what quite a few people say, actually, isn't it? That they they often come in thinking one thing, um, and then go out doing another. But I think, yeah, so obviously that's not true for everybody. But I've heard quite a few people say that. Yeah. No, I think so. I think like for some people, yeah, absolutely. Like you know, from the get go that. I want to want to work with children. That's what I want to do, and and they stick to that. I think, yeah, and I, I don't know. I'm not saying people aren't open-minded, but I think it can be surprising. I was surprised that that's where I am now, actually thinking about it, and I, and even more surprisingly, perhaps I really enjoy 
the dysphagia work in care homes. That's something that I never thought I'd be doing because, you know, I don't know about you guys, but prior to applying to speech and language therapy course, didn't really know an awful lot about dysphagia, if I'm being completely honest. Didn't know that's what speech and language therapists did. It's not in the it's not in the title, so why would it be? <laughs> Me too. Yeah, 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 and then and then you scratch the surface and you think, wow, that you do that as well. That's uh, that's crazy. That's kind of a a bit intense. You wouldn't guess that, would you? And so, yes, the work that I've been doing in in kind of dysphagia, I, I'm I'm surprised that I've enjoyed it as much as I have. Um, but yeah, that's what's kind of quite intriguing about this career. Really, there's so many different avenues to take it. I know, you know, people people take it into a very niche area. I think with you know working with young offenders, things like that. There's so many different roads you can go down, which I think is why it's brilliant. Really, you can do an awful lot with it. So, yeah, yeah, please. I agree. Um, so tell us a little bit about your sort of job hunting and interview experience. Did you have to apply for quite a few jobs? How did you find the interview? Kind of any tips for those people uh, heading for interviews over the coming months? Yeah, so I count myself very, very fortunate that it was a very smooth journey, essentially. So I started my second year placement in the Forgive me if I get my time scales wrong, but I'll, is it the February, March time, I think, for the undergrad anyway. Um, so I started my 12 week adult placement in adults, in adult acute. Um, I'd started looking around the December time and I'd applied for an adult community job. First week into my placement, they'd offered me an interview. So that was a slightly awkward conversation. Really sorry, I can't come in on Friday because I've got an interview to go and do. But they were absolutely brilliant with it. Um, went to the interview, was offered the job. Happy days, accepted that. A couple of weeks later, my placement educator said, oh, just so you know, we've got some vacancies coming up. You might be interested. And at this point, I'm three or four weeks in, really, really enjoying my placement where I am. So I was like, I'll apply, let's see what happens. And yeah, a couple of weeks later, I was offered to go to interview for that. This was the most nerve wracking interview guys I've ever had because I've, don't matter you, I've never had an interview where I know the people prior. So my, the interview panel consisted of my placement educator, who I'd been seeing every day for three or four weeks, the head of service, and then another speech and language therapist who I'd met maybe a couple of times whilst on placement. So there I am. You can't blag people who who know you, right? <laughs> In other interviews, you can kind of embellish things a little bit and, and be a bit creative, shall we say, or that you can't do that if they know you, right? So honestly, the most nervous experience I think I've ever had, but they offered it me. And I was like, that's that's amazing. So to to basically be offered a job in a trust where I was already on placement and knew the people, kind of knew what to expect like it was just you know I count myself very fortunate what that meant was though I had to kind of do a bit of an awkward email phone call to the other trust to say I'm really really sorry I know I've accepted this but I've actually been offered a, you know a job where I'm currently on placement it was kind of a lot closer to home it had the rotational aspect to it which again was really intriguing because I feel like 
the other one was literally community based so that's that's where you'd be with this one where i am now as i said you've got this rotation of going through the community the cube stroke and i thought Do you know what that's that sounds fantastic for my development that's that that's kind of suits me really so i can't really complain is what i'll say in terms of i was i feel quite fortunate that as i said the vacancy came up at the right time when i was on placement i'd already i feel like given a, a good account of myself whilst on placement and yeah so i just feel very blessed basically that it kind of worked out that way mm. how, how was the interview other than the fact that it was people that you knew were there kind of particular questions that were particularly hard or so do you know what I although although I say I was really nervous um I think because it was the second interview that I'd had I probably I feel like my skills not skill my, my knowledge of what the questions might be was maybe a little bit better I sort of half knew what to expect a little bit more the first interview that I had there was a question about um you they say so a lot of these um, questions they're situational based they're a bit like case studies so they'll give you a bit of background as to a client their you know their diagnosed condition if they've got one and you know what would you do if x happened you know if, if a relative said to you will i get uh, will they get better or if a patient said to you um why do i have dysarthria just as examples a question that really tripped me up was um you're working with a client in the community, you meet them for the first time and you discover during your assessment that they are having issues with saliva management, that they have dysarthria. Could you tell us um, some of the things, uh, so, you know, what you would include in your, in your management plan to help address some of these saliva management difficulties? And I was like, I don't know the answer to that at all i just completely drew blank and i knew i knew we just probably covered it on the course or whatever but i just did not know and i had to be honest because i'm like i can't i can't just make this up so i said i'm really sorry i, I don't know the answer to that but what i would do in that instance is i would go to my supervisor or a, or a more experienced colleague i would find out the answer and then i would get back to that person despite not knowing the answer they still offered me the job so if that's a tip worth giving, I think, you know, 100%, don't guess something that you don't know the answer to because they're going to call you out on that. And then if, if, you've, if you would give some really kind of clinical risk kind of answer, that's not going to go down well either. So if you don't know, in my experience, it would just be better to say, look, I'm, I'm really not sure. I'll go and find out and get back to you. So it's not the end of the world if you just draw a blank <laughs> yeah I think that um I've heard from other people that sense of okay you're a blank but what would you do about it you know if you get stuck and don't know what would you do about it and if you can be clear on that on interview yeah like it sounds like it worked that worked for you I think that's one of the key things isn't it like what a... would you do about it if you don't know <laughs> yeah and and obviously you, you've got to go in prepared I think if you said I don't know I'll find out to every uh question that's probably not going to go down so well but I think you know I'd, I'd given enough detail and, and enough of what they were looking for in other questions for them to kind of let that one slide a little bit maybe <laughs> but yeah as you say I think that key bit probably was but but this is what I'll do 
it's, it's, it's not quite enough to say I don't know. It's I don't know, but I'll go and find out or I'll get back to you, those kind of things. So mm-hmm. although it's a horrible, horrible feeling and I had a similar experience in one of my vivas, it's not the end of the world that <laughs> you don't know. So there's always a reset. And if worst case scenario, they don't offer you the job. There's always another interview along, you know, out there somewhere. So it's not the end of the world. <laughs> Um, so what has your time as a qualified SLT been so far? How has it been? Really, really enjoyable, really great. Um, the team that I'm in in the community are just amazing. It's really nice. So where where I sit, there's, there's an office of us and there's physios, there's OTs, there's rehab support workers that do a bit of physio, a bit of OT, sometimes a bit of speech and language therapy as well. So there's a uh, the room next door. You've got uh, district nursing, so there's there's a lovely kind of sense of multidisciplinary multidisciplinary team kind of going on there. So that's been that's been really great. It's daunting. Don't get me wrong. Like it's you know you you learn about these medical conditions at uni, but it's until you know ten minutes before you've got that appointment with someone. And it's like this is nerve wracking. This is this is the real deal now. Um, but I think as you, as long as you can go into these appointments and these um, sessions being like as prepared as you can possibly be, you've done your case history. So at the very least, you know the person's name <laughs> and a bit a little bit about them. It's 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 okay. And I think what I've found is in the first few weeks is that if you can try and relax into it and really just just bare basics just build that relationship with that person they're pro- you know they're nervous coming to see you 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 can't let your nerves and, and kind of anxieties show you've got to be that kind of steadfast kind of reassuring figure when they come to you and that that's hard because you know it's that kind of duck on a pond scenario you, underneath your your little legs are kicking away but you've got to try and you know on the surface at least be calm and confident so that that's been hard but other than that other than it being quite mentally fatiguing it's brilliant it's it's a hundred percent like i feel validated because like i said it was a long journey for me at least getting here um that i now feel in a position where those three years of hard work exams dissertations as uh, for me is has kind of culminated in this really so it's been great <laughs> really, oh, really brilliant great. to hear brilliant to hear especially after like a kind of an interesting and and wiggly journey and to just feel like you're in the right place now <laughs> yeah <laughs> at least for now and who knows at least for now holds. but again but, you know because i think i'm a bit older and a bit wiser now like me me considering that well that's you've got the community job purely community job that I was offered and then this rotational post that probably suits me a little bit more knowing like I get itchy feet and want to move on to the next thing so every six months I know that oh there's a bit of a change coming you know there's something else to learn something else to get to grips with for me that's right up my street and I know that doesn't last forever necessarily but at least for now it's um it's good it's really good so I can't really 
I don't think passionately explain anymore how, how much I'm really enjoying this role. And yeah, I just, it's a, it's a great career, isn't it? It's really good. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, have you got any tips for someone sort of soon to qualify, you know, those first few months in the job? Soon to qualify, um, get, get looking early. There's, I know that I'm pretty sure there's a lot of vacancies out there. So just, just start looking now. You know, even if you're not going to apply, just get on to NHS jobs, you know, get the lecturers to send you through the vacancies that are there just to see like what's out there to get an idea of what you want to do, because there are these kind of more niche jobs out there as well. So, you know, if there is a, a young offenders role that you might be able to, if, if that's your interest, just seeing what's out there. There's, you know, there are private organisations that have vacancies as well. So, you know, look early. Um, what else could I say? Just, yeah, just keep an open mind, I think. Just just see what's out there and see what might work for you. Brilliant. Lovely. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed talking to you this afternoon. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's been really interesting hearing about your journey and, and seeing your enthusiasm for the job shine through because, you know, I think it's a brilliant course and a brilliant career to come. But, you know, it's nice to see you have taken that next step and are still loving it. So that's great. That's but we need more blokes. We need mm. more men. <laughs> There's not enough of us. Yeah. <laughs> definitely definitely so an extra treat for us to have you come and talk to us this afternoon so thank you so much for your time no and no, more than more than uh, happy to so yeah good luck with the rest of your studies as well thank you